Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in His gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Good morning. My name's Joey. I have the gift of... That was an interesting way to start a sermon, isn't it? Um... My name is Joey. I have the gift of serving Downtown Hope as lead pastor with an incredible team, and uh, it's just a joy week in, week out to gather together. And uh, this morning, I have the gift of continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke called Fulfilled. And uh, if you're, you've been following us through the year, we started back actually last Advent, and we've been carrying it through. We took a break in the summer through Deuteronomy, and now we're jumping back in. So you can uh, take your Bibles out with me on your phone or in print. And uh, you can open up to Luke chapter 18. And I just want to, uh, you know, in a, in a world, in a culture where we're constantly sort of just hand-fed everything, um, you know, don't rely just on the screen here. It is here for help. But, like, as, you're, as we gather here as a body, take the Word of God out, open it up, look at it. Ask questions. If you're here this morning and you're like, I don't even know about Jesus. I don't even know if I believe in a God. It's a great chance to like listen in and hear about what it is that we believe as a church that we stand with, with other believers around the world. We love this word. We open it. We saturate ourselves in it. We eat it. We feast on it. And that's our practice here as a church. Uh, We have a great resource that we have wonderful men and women in the body um, who contribute to called The Daily. Um, I'm going to let you guys fix this because it's a little wonky right now. There we go. If we need, there we go. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. We have a great resource called The Daily that uh, comes Monday through Friday in an email, and um, it's just a chance to dig into the worst, our reading through the Gospel of Luke and other passages as we're coming here on Sundays and studying together. So, all that to say, this last year and a half has been a tough season for a lot of people, hasn't it? Have you guys felt that? It's real. It's real. I mean... The suffering that's happened in this body, in our world, across the area, is, it's real. Uh, it's a really tough season. Uh, I remember about four or five months into COVID, I was on a call with a number of pastors from our area. Um, there's just great unity among pastors in our community. And we were on this call, and we were just sharing how difficult it's been if you uh, are in any kind of leadership position. It's been a hard season to lead through. And it was interesting, on this call, uh, these pastors started sharing, like, I'm so burned out. I'm so tired. What if I wasn't doing this job? What would I be doing? And they started sort of confessing to one another. One guy said he really would just love to be a mailman. I was like, that's interesting. Another, another, another friend of mine said, I just would love to sell hot dogs at like an amusement park every day. Just go in there. And I'm not going to tell you who said this because you probably know him. Um, but, you know, just I, I love just to sell hot dogs. Um, another guy on the call said, I would love to be a Maryland waterman, like just crab and, you know, do the oyster thing. I won't tell you who said that one, but, uh, but, but it was, it was really interesting. We were just sharing our struggles and one of the pastors on the call, he had shared with me, um, a, a season in his life. This was actually way before COVID. And 
he had gone through such a hard time in leadership at his church uh, that he was ready to resign. I mean, he drafted up a resignation letter to bring to his team, and he was like, I'm done. I've given up. This is the end of the road. And some of us in this room, either we or someone we know is in that very spot. Like, you've been through a year and a half, and it's been really hard. It's been a hard season for COVID for other reasons. And you're just like, I'm done. Like, I've got my resignation letter written. You're right on the edge. You're right on the edge of giving up. And and can, can we just be honest about that here? This is a safe space to be honest with God about this in your heart. Is it your job? You're ready to give up on your job, a friendship, your children, your spouse, your marriage, your father-in-law, your mother-in-law, the U.S. government. Maybe you're here and you're like, I, I, I just, I've been through such a hard time. I'm, I'm ready to give up on God. Like, you used about this here because this is the real space that many of us have occupied or are occupying right now. And there's a question that comes up in our lives in a moment like this, whether we are conscious of it or not. It's like, well, the one option is to just submit our resignation letter and be done with whatever it is. But is there a resource? Is there something in a moment like this that would allow us to persevere? Is there something in, in, in my life, is there something in my world in this, a moment like this that, that I could actually endure, that we could actually endure and not give up? And this morning, Jesus tells us a story like Jesus does, a parable, and it offers incredible hope, like, like life-altering, world-changing hope for those of us and for a world that's in this place where we're ready to put in our resignation letter in that place of giving up. So let me read this, these eight verses to you. You're probably familiar with this parable, and then we'll dive in together. And he, Jesus, verse 1, told them a parable to the effect that they always ought to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And this is God's word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your life, for your teaching, for your death on our behalf, and for your resurrection, for your reigning and ruling now, and ultimately, Lord, for your return. And we just want to sit under your words here. And I'm asking for my friends in this room, my own heart, 
that you would transform us through the truth of this word. Lord, I pray you would give us hope for those of us who are on that edge, who are in that place of despair and giving up. May we receive these words from you through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this parable, we find a person who's on the edge, who's in this place, probably where she would want to give up. A widow, we find this in verse 3. There was a widow in that city. If anyone in the first century culture would have the right to give up, it might be someone like this, a widow who culturally is marginalized, probably is very poor, doesn't really have anything, has no hope. Maybe her family is there, maybe her family's not, but Jesus chooses a widow intentionally because he's making a point that we're going to dive into here. She's not really a person of influence. She's not a person of position. She really has no power is the point Jesus is making here. And then what we find in this passage is that she has an adversary, an enemy, an enemy who is violating her in some way. She's a victim of some injustice. That's why she's coming eventually to this judge saying, grant me justice from my adversary. And what does she do? What does this person, this woman who by all means has no in this moment do? Well, she approaches a second person in this parable. Verse 2, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So in contrast to the widow who is absolutely and utterly powerless in the eyes of the world, we have this judge who is probably a civil judge who often would handle uh, financial cases in the culture. This is a person who has a lot of power. This is a person who has position. This is a person who has influence. But there's something about this judge. He really doesn't care about what people think. Um, he is basically a person of tremendous power. He knows it, and he is completely proud, and he's like, I don't answer to anybody. In fact, Jesus even makes a point to say he doesn't even answer to God. It's like He doesn't even fear God. So this is the, the kind of power that this person, this judge, thinks that he has in the world. And what does this woman do? What does this woman do? It says that she keeps coming to the judge. And what does she say when she comes to him? In, in, in the Greek here, it's, it's, this is persistency, right? When it says she keeps coming to him, persistently she comes to him over and over and over again. And when she comes to him, she has a cry in her. What is the cry of her heart? Justice. Justice. The very thing she's in need of. She has an enemy. She has an adversary. She's a victim. And she's like, I have no power. I have no position. I have no influence. So what I'm going to do is go to the person in my area, in my world, that I know who has the most power and the most influence, who can actually help me in this situation. And I'm not going to stop coming to this judge. I'm going to wear this judge out until this judge grants me Justice against my adversary. And here's what happens in verse 4. For a while he refused. But afterwards, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. 
He refuses for a while. But because of her persistence, in this context, it literally means to wear somebody out. Parents, you understand what this is like from a child. (laughs) Question after question after question. Same question, same question. Same answer, same question, same answer, same question, same answer. Somebody's going to have to break here. And the judge breaks. And it's in this moment that you can imagine as Jesus is telling this parable and sharing this story, everybody is waiting and is like, and what is the point of this story? Because we know what he says next now, 2,000 years later, but nobody, just try to put yourself in this moment. Nobody knew in that moment what he was going to say next. And I, and, and, and I want you to, I want us to appreciate and understand the weight of what he says. He says, listen to how the unjust judge responds to this widow. And will not God, will not your heavenly father bring about justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? The word here in Greek, to cry out, to raise a cry of pain, to cry, to speak with a high, strong voice, to cry to one for help, to implore aid. This is somebody drowning in underwater and saying, help me, help me. I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. I have no hope in this situation except if you intervene. And Jesus says, listen to what this arrogant, unjust, fleshy, proud judge says. He grants her her wish. And Jesus flips the script and says, how much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give you justice. He will not put you off. He will not let you suffer forever. He will come and he will give you justice quickly. This is a lesser to greater argument. Jesus is saying, if A is true, this lesser thing, how much greater is B than what happens? And that's the parable. That's the story he tells. And so the question for us this morning is like, well, what does this actually mean for us? What what does this mean for you and me and us in the 21st century here? Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Do you understand what he's doing? What is it that the widow is doing in this moment that is causing her to not give up? And we actually find the answer to this in verse 1. Jesus actually front loads the point of his parable. Class, okay, just I'm going to ask you this question. What is the widow doing? What is, what is she doing here? What is Jesus saying to the people listening to the parable that they should do what and never give up? What is it? They should be persistent in what? In prayer. In prayer. Right? Do you see that? Verse 1. He told them this parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Another translation is to not give up. It is persistency in prayer as a resource that causes us to not fall into despair, that causes us to not give up. So the question is, what is it about the act of praying? This is what this parable begs the question. What is it about the act of praying to our Father in heaven that causes us to not despair or to not give up. Now, there's many different types of prayer modeled through the scripture, many different purposes of prayer 
throughout the scripture. This is one particular purpose of prayer, one particular aspect of prayer that Jesus is imploring us to participate in because in it we find a resource that causes us to not give up. So what is it about prayer that causes us to not give up? And maybe let me ask a different question. Why do we give up? Why do you give up when you hit a roadblock? Why do you give up when things get hard? Why do you give up? And why do you write that resignation letter that you're ready to give to your boss or to whoever it is? Could I make the suggestion that it's because in those moments we feel powerless? At least that's part of it, that in those moments where we feel like I've got to give up, it's because we actually are getting to the point where we're acknowledging we don't actually have the power unto ourselves to fix the problem at hand. And so the only thing we can actually do in that moment is resign. And it is here that this woman who is powerless, she has no power to deal with her adversary, participates in this act as Jesus is laying it out, a persistent prayer. Now, it's really interesting because the entire context of this whole section of Luke is about people who are powerless. In chapter 17, we have unworthy servants. We have lepers. In chapter 17, verse 32, we find one who's seeking to preserve, preserve his life, who will lose his life. This whole context is about People who are lacking power, people who are outcasts, people who are marginalized. And then Jesus sort of drives it home by saying, and here's a widow of all people. And what does she do? She draws in her powerlessness on a power outside of herself. I mean, this is, this is part of the observation of what Jesus is teaching in this parable. The powerful in this parable pays attention to the powerless. The powerful in this parable, it doesn't only just pay attention and listen to the prayer, but actually is persuaded by the prayer of the powerless. And the powerful in this parable is not only persuaded, but actually prevails upon the prayer of the powerless. I mean, you see that trajectory. He hears her, he's persuaded by her, and then he acts to bring about justice. And this is a definition, a working definition of what this kind of persistent prayer is. The utterly powerless petitioning the all-powerful. Because prayer is a confession of dependency and neediness of our utter powerlessness. And this is the relationship between prayer and not giving up. Because our prayer is the very vehicle, one of the means of grace that demonstrates our neediness and our desperation, our powerlessness. You don't go to somebody over and over and over and over again and ask for help if you think you can help yourself. I mean, I, I hope that, can I just say that again? Like, you don't keep asking somebody over and over and over again if you think you can take care of that problem on your own strength or your own ability. And I, I, I just, my prayer and my hope is, I, this has been deeply challenging this week. Like, I'm a three on the Enneagram. I like to achieve. I like to power up on things. I can drive hard. And Jesus is making a really strong point here. And if you're American, Western, and you've been told your whole life, we talk about this a lot, you can do it yourself. I mean, this, I hope this drives <laughs> 
right into your heart because he's making a point here that we need to hear. You don't go to someone over and over and over again and ask for help if you think you can help yourself. The prevailing cultural narrative that we live in says your powerlessness is why you ought to give up. Isn't that true? You're at your end. You have no power. Give up. Put in your resignation letter. But Jesus says the powerlessness that you feel and are experiencing in that moment is the very reason you have hope and don't have to give up. He completely turns it on its head. The very thing the world says is the reason you ought to give up is the very resource that Jesus wants to get you in touch with that actually is the place out of which you don't have to give up. But only if you fall on a greater power and ultimate power. This is why Jesus says, look at the judge. He is wicked, fleshy, and filled with pride. And then he says, look at the widow, a person who culturally has nothing And he says, if this lesser unjust person of power grants justice to the powerless widow, how much more will your heavenly father come alongside of you in your powerlessness, in your weakness, in your dependency, and grant you justice? How much more will the God who created all things come to your rescue? Now, it's really important to pause here and pause and talk a little bit about context because what Jesus is actually talking about here in the broader context is actually his return. He's talking about, and we see that uh, down in uh, verse 8, uh, he says he will not delay. Um, we see this in verse 7, he, justice for the Lord's people. So this is a word of encouragement to people who identify and follow Jesus. And Jesus, in the broader context, is saying, This is about the ultimate justice that he is going to bring about in the world. And it's important to understand this because in this parable, he doesn't say when he's going to deal justice, when he's going to bring justice. He doesn't say how he's going to deal and bring justice. He doesn't give you all the details that you and I really want to know, right? I want to know if I'm suffering right now, this problem, this issue is going to be resolved tomorrow. But Jesus doesn't give us that in this parable, does he? His point is that our prayer ultimately is not about what we get. It's actually about what our heart is set upon, not the outcome, but upon God himself. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to see in this moment in the practice of persistent prayer to our Father in heaven. We see our Father in heaven as a loving God who wants to provide and bring justice to his people, and he will. Whether he does it today or whether he does it on that day, we don't always know, and we certainly don't have control over. But the point Jesus is making is, do we see God in his grandeur, in his radiance, in his purity, in his holiness? Do we see the Lord all-powerful? as the one who sustains the canopy of the cosmos? Do we see the Lord in all of his creative energy who spoke and things came into existence? Do we see Jesus 
in all of his glory, sitting on the throne with love in his eyes and his heart breaking over the victims of injustice in the world and all of the sin that lies in injustices. Do we see him ready in a moment in burning hot love to bring justice against every perpetrator and person who ever sinned and is naked before him without covering? Do we see a picture of God in this way? Because to the extent that we see him in his glory and his beauty and his radiance is the, is the extent to which we will persevere in prayer. We will see him as the one who can provide. We will see him as the one who can bring justice. We will see him in all of his glory, and we will make it our life practice to get on our face before him. I love the all sons and daughters song, the lyric, all the poor and powerless, all the lost and lonely, all the thieves will come confess, all who hurt with nothing left will know that you are holy and we'll sing hallelujah, we will cry hallelujah. That's the point Jesus is making here. It's not about what the widow will get in the moment. It's about who our Father in heaven is and how we can trust him, how we can come before him, whether he grants justice in the moment of pain that we're experiencing now or whether he grants justice in the future. My pastor friend who was about to submit his resignation letter to the team. I mean, he was, he was ready to set it down. He went to his mentor before he did this, a mentor of his, and he said, here's my letter. I've made the decision. I'm done. I'm going to resign. Do you know what his mentor said to him? He said, absolutely. You, oh, Oh, you better resign. He said, you have no need to give this letter to, those, to the team, but you had better resign. You had better resign every day of your life. You had better resign every moment of your life. Anything in your life that you're holding on to that makes you think for a moment that you have power unto yourself and that you can have the right to give up in this moment, you need to resign to that, and you need to die to that every day of your life. In fact, he said, you need to get on your face right now, and you need to resign before your heavenly Father. <laughs> and this is true for us in that moment when we feel like giving up. It is not the resignation letter that we need to give in nine times out of ten. Sometimes we do have to resign. I'm not saying there isn't a moment for that. But oftentimes the thing that we have to add our heart to the Lord. And this is what the practice of persistent prayer, as Jesus teaches in this parable, is all about. It's the posture that gives us expression to the reality that we have come to the place where we have acknowledged our utter powerlessness. And I just want to ask us this morning, I want to ask you this morning, how many of us come to our Father in heaven with this posture regularly? I mean, I know a lot of times I come to God saying, I really want this thing. I really want that thing. Could you, God, could you be my gumball machine? I'm not saying we don't and shouldn't ask for things in faith and boldness, but do I come with a posture of powerlessness 
to get on my face and resign before him. Why don't we do that? Why don't you do that? Why, why don't we practice that as followers of Jesus? I mean, if that is at the heart of the gospel, if this is Jesus' teaching, why don't we practice this? I think sometimes, many times, it's because we don't actually see ourselves as weak and needy. I mean, probably even me saying that is deeply offensive to some of you. And I actually hope it is. Because if it wasn't, it probably means you don't need to hear this message. <laughs> But I know I needed to hear it this week because I don't think of myself as weak and needy often. I, I think basically I'm okay. And let's just be honest. With all the comforts we have, a lot of us think we're just okay. But there's a pride and arrogance that is in all of us. And I think it's part of how the Lord wants to grow us and sanctify us as a body, as he's preparing us to move into the estuary, as it were, to be equipped and trained to grow deeper in him. This is a lot of where it starts. How does this resource get unlocked in the world? And this is where we'll close, and this is where we close every week. Because you're like, all right, maybe you're convinced. Maybe the Spirit of God has convicted you, and you're like, I am in need. So, do you have power to even get to that place? Like, actually, the answer is no. <laughs> the power to become needy, to be aware of your own neediness, got unlocked in the world in one way. It's because God himself laid down his power. This is the movement of the, this is actually the, the power of the cross is a redistribution of power. It's the almighty, the most powerful, the perfect, the holy, the pristine, who depletes himself, who depletes himself, spends himself on others, dies a death on our behalf in utter weakness so that we might receive power not from within ourselves, but from on high, from outside of ourselves, the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says it this way, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, that's the point of giving up, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and, seated, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You don't have to give up. In Christ, there is actually nothing in this world that can be held against you that would ever cause you to give up at anything. God's power is that great. I'm not saying it will be for your life. In fact, it probably will go a lot harder. But you have a power to endure that flows from heaven to earth through the way of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And the one who spoke the world into existence, who listens to you, who is compelled by you, will, who will eventually at some point act upon the injustices you are suffering, is there with you. And it's our opportunity and a means of grace to be a people who lay down our lives before him ongoingly and persistently persevere in prayer. 
I want to invite the musicians to come up as we move to the table. And I just want to read uh, one quote here by a missionary who was a missionary in New England uh, in the in around 1740s. His name was David Brainerd. You may have known his story. He actually was an inspiration to Jonathan Edwards. Um, and if you know anything about Jonathan Edwards, you're like, we should probably listen to what this guy has to say if he inspired Jonathan Edwards. And in his diary, he was a profound intercessor. And if you ever have a chance to read his diary, read it. Because it really is, it's a splash of ice cold water <laughs> on a very warm, comfortable 21st century world we live in. He just writes these, a couple sentences here that I think are appropriate to end with. This is a time when he uh, went to pray in the woods. And he says, in the afternoon, I felt in secret prayer, much resigned, calm and serene, a different kind of resignation. What are all the storms of this lower world if Jesus by his spirit does but come walking on the seas? As we come to the table this morning, I want to ask you, are you in touch? Are you aware of your powerlessness? And that is the place out of which we come to this table. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Thank you.